Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Attorney Lindsay Egan practices law on the North Shore of Massachusetts. After years in corporate law, she decided to hang a shingle and open Egan Law Center located in Manchester by the sea. Lindsay's boutique firm focuses on family law and estate planning. She's a graduate of the University of New Hampshire and Massachusetts School of Law and has served on various boards of directors and enjoys philanthropic volunteering in general. So we are super delighted to have her here today on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. So welcome, Lindsay. Thank you, Davina. It's so great to be here. And so you, before we started, you and I were comparing uh, weather notes there, and and you were telling me how beautiful it is there today in Massachusetts with 60 degrees and a nice breeze by the sea. That sounds really lovely. It is really lovely. And I tell you, I have a couple windows in my office that are open right now, and it just is all so dangerous because it's lulling me back to the outside and slowly enticing me to, you know, just kind of call it quits early today. (laughs) I know, and on a Friday, that can be so tempting. That can be so tempting. Well, and, you know, maybe we can uh, get you, maybe you can get out early today if you just time it right. Um, I'll take it. So talk with me about, I I gave a brief introduction, but I'd love to hear about your journey to becoming an attorney. Let's talk about you becoming an attorney first, and then we'll get into what made you decide to start your own practice. Sure. So, you know, as many people say, their journey has been uh, less than a straight and narrow path. So I actually started off as an undergrad being a piano performance major. I played everything from the Beatles to Rachmaninoff. And in my head, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be the next Sarah McLachlan of this generation or Tori Amos or something like that. I loved playing the piano, singing, just absolutely loved it. So I went to school for UNH to do that. Slowly but surely, I started to realize that the demands and the rigor presented on me in that field of study was really taking away that genuine love I had for playing the piano. You know, this Mm -hmm. concerto was going to be due on such a date, and I had to log in X numbers of practicing per week. And I started to really resent something that was so important to me. Um, So I actually transitioned into business. And I really thrived in business. I loved the contracts and um, kind of the rigidity of it and always loved numbers. And it just was a nice transition for me. Um, My first job after undergrad was in banking. And I, you know, I loved it. I was quickly promoted and moved up the ranks from teller to head teller, customer service. And then I went into lending, doing mortgage underwriting, consumer loans, and eventually becoming a residential and commercial loan officer. What was interesting about, yeah. um, And when I was in banking, I started to work hand in hand with a lot of the closing attorneys. And, you know, my mom always jokes that I could find the one T in the Bible that was uncrossed. So I was actually finding a lot of errors in their work 
and really wanting to understand, you know, the contractual basis behind these mortgages and what was going on there. So I was encouraged by a lot of attorneys that I worked with to go to law school. So I did. Wonderful. That's one. What a great story. And, <laughs> and so interesting what you were saying about loving the piano and then making a, you were on a path to make a career out of it. And I do think that that happens to a, a lot of, uh, a lot of us where we have a love for something and we think this is what we want to do for a living. And then we realize that it crushes the fun part and the dream behind it when we're, when we're trying to turn it into something that it becomes our source of income because then it requires I, yeah. us to, yeah, go ahead. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. I think it's really important to be fiercely protective of the things that are so important to you and honor them in a way that makes sense to you. And that's mm -hmm. what I needed to do with my love of music. And so I imagine you didn't have quite the same passion for banking that you had for piano. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't. It was a little bit different. Um, and also something that I could mostly pack up at the end of the day and just kind of stow away into the next day, whereas the piano was just such a great stress reliever for me, such a nice right. outlet. Right, right. My sister was in banking for years, so I know what that I know what that industry is like. It's very regulated. It's very uh, rule oriented, and so it's so I'm sure it suited you well. And because all of these, all three of these careers seem to require a lot of discipline, a lot of self-discipline. Yes. yes, absolutely. It is not for the faint of heart. Yes, yes. All right, so what was it like when you went to law school and you found out that w what it really means to be an attorney when you went to law school and then you graduated and started practice, what it really means to be an attorney? Because I suspect it looks really different on the other side. It looked really different for you on the other side of doing it from oh, when you were sitting in there as a banker. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. You know, it was, it was a totally different perspective, you know, looking from the outside in and thinking, okay, I can do this. It doesn't seem too hard. Yeah. Sign me up. I'm ready. Uh, versus the work that needs to go into it and really being in the thick of things. I thrived quite honestly in law school and I'm so grateful for that experience. Quite honestly, I could be a lifelong student and be very happy. Um, but it really helped me in so many ways, not just for the curriculum and learning that, of course, which is the foundation for everything that we do, but also helped me get some really great skills with public speaking, advocacy, and self-confidence, and really taught me how to grow and foster my network of colleagues, professionals, mm -hmm. other women in practice, students, things like that. You know, one year I won the school's coveted Dean Award that was given out to one member of the entire student body each year. And I'm pretty sure I have a dusty plaque somewhere back at the school. Um, but it was a really great experience and really did prepare me for the work that I was going to do, which was very different than what I originally thought. Right, right. So out of law school, you didn't you didn't go immediately and start your own practice. You worked for uh, a number of years in corporate law. So tell me about that journey. I did. And if I could sum that up, I would say that it was a cubicle farm of sorts. Um, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> yeah. it was great experience. Don't get me wrong. And I made some great contacts there and friends, lifelong friends. I actually set up 
one girl that I met there with one of my husband's best friends. They've now been married for years. So, you know, that's a pretty cool story. But um, it was just personally and professionally really not rewarding. I'm not the kind of person that likes to be just stuck in a corner with my head down or focused on the computer all day Mm -hmm. and have no contact with other human beings. That's just not an environment for me that feels, you know, the the, like the best match. Right. So, you know, I stayed there for a few years and got some great skills, made some great connections. And then one of the friends that I had met there opened up her own practice in the spring of 2018. So I said, okay, now or never. I took the plunge and started kind of shadowing and interning with her before deciding to open up my own practice. And so what made you decide to open your own practice? Honestly, I was kind of sick of working in a place where people would rely so heavily on me for their work and use it to their advantage. I Mm -hmm. really wanted to be the driver of my own success. And I say this often, and I'm not sure where I heard it, but I really want my glass ceiling to be my daughter's floor. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I do too. Um, I just, I wanted to be the driver and I wanted to be in charge of my own success. And quite honestly, Davina, I am the hardest boss that I've ever had. I'm very hard on myself, but it's feast or famine. And I'm the one that, you know, needs to be making choices so that my student loans get paid every month and that my family is supported and that I can get the vintage Chanel earrings that I've been drooling over for a few months. Right. 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 So when did you open your practice? What year? Yeah. So that's, yep. So technically 2018, the very end of 2018. And this is a super interesting story because In early 2019, I was pregnant and moving the furniture into my office. Everything was going well, you know, setting up shop, and my daughter was due in July. However, early April, after 27 weeks of a textbook pregnancy, I had some severe complications and ended up delivering her at 27 weeks and one day, my little two-pound micro preemie, oh, wow. teeny tiny squirrel of a baby. Yes, and I should say she's healthy, she's thriving, she's pure perfection and sass, all rolled up into this bundle of a toddler. Um, but it was a wild, wild ride. So right. I had preeclampsia, help syndrome, um, a placental abruption, and an amniotic fluid embolism which is truly the rarest of the rare, even more rare to have survived that. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Um, And I am forever grateful and indebted to um, Beth Israel in Boston for the amazing care that they gave to me and to Finley, my daughter. And that was really her home for over 100 days. Um, So my life just totally turned upside on its head. And for many months, I just commuted daily into Boston um, to visit her and to care for her in the only way I could while she was, you know, still growing and developing, which meant that my newly established law office that I thought I'd be, you know, getting all settled and set up right before she entered the world um, had to take a back burner. 
as it did for a little bit when she first came home from the NICU in late summer of 2019. And then I, of course, wanted to spend the time with her being a first-time mom and nurturing her, and it had been such a scary experience for both of us. So really, 2020 is when I first started devoting myself more on a regular basis to baby number two, which is my law firm. Right. Um, And of course, we all know how 2020 2020 was. Thank you, pandemic. Um, (laughs) So I'm really just grateful to still be here and thriving and growing a successful practice and beating the odds in every way, personally and professionally. Wow. Wow. What a story. That is just, first of all, congratulations on baby and and you guys making it through that because how frightening that must have been. Um, How frightening it was. Yeah. So you are, you have chosen family law and estate planning. And I found Mm -hmm. that interesting given that you've had, you know, kind of this corporate experience and what made you decide that family law and estate planning were the way for you to go? Yeah, so interesting, right? So honestly, I call myself a survivor of um, my parents' divorce, which was pretty tumultuous. And I really got to see um, as a child how that can impact the family unit and really have long-lasting effects. Uh, Also, I am now married to uh, my wonderful husband, Casey, who went through his own divorce. And I find that people really need this unique client-centered approach to the divorce experience that I think has been really lacking. When I started shadowing with my friend, she was doing criminal law and family law. And interestingly enough, in law school, I never took any family law courses. I was adamantly opposed to even considering that area of practice. So Mm -hmm. it's truly ironic that I've ended up in it. But when I started working with her and meeting these clients and seeing how disheartened they were and really just lacking in self-esteem and self-assurances, I knew that this was such an untapped market for the type of practice that could be and should be. So I jumped. Right, right. So tell me first, why were you so opposed to it when you were in law school? What about it? seemed like it wasn't something that you wanted to do. It felt very messy to me. And I am a color in the lines type of person. Even with piano, I really wasn't the type of person that would, you know, write my own music or just play by ear. I am a rule follower to some degree. And it felt unstructured and risky and messy and something that I thought I could internalize too easily and perhaps flow over into my own personal life. And Mm -hmm. I've heard of the exhaustion um, of other family law attorneys. And I really just thought, no, I need structure. I need corporate. I need nine to five. I need to work for a big law firm or have someone else setting the rules and I will simply follow them. But, you know, it's interesting that um, life throws you all these curves and you end up in a completely different place than you ever thought you'd be. And so now that you are a family law attorney, how do you view it now? Yeah, I think being a family law attorney is the best thing that I honestly could have done. 
You know, I am a newly, newly addicted Peloton rider. I don't know if you've heard of the Peloton bike. Oh, yes, they, yes, yes. I'm in all the I'm in all the attorney groups with all the okay. <laughs> attorneys jumping on that that Peloton. I love it. And one of my favorite instructors is Jess King. And she has these these rides and she calls them the Jess King experience. And I said, gosh, that's, that's great. That's so cool. She's really identified and carved out this unique, you know, experience where a live DJ is playing in the background and she's dancing on the bike and he's dancing in the background and you're getting pumped up and amped up and ready to do some hard work. So I kind of liken my practice to the Egan Law Center experience. I really try to make it something unique, something memorable and taking a spin on something that otherwise wouldn't necessarily seem like the most fun activity, right? I mean, there are some days I don't want to get on the bike and get sweaty, but I make the best of it. And that's, that's what I try to do. So I don't have a cookie cutter approach at all to my practice. Empowerment and advocacy that I bring to my clients is so important to me. And the feedback that I get from them is incredible. So it really supports that the choices that I've made. Right, right. So you you have, in addition to your family law, divorce, child custody issues and stuff, you're also doing estate planning. And you decided mm-hmm. to pair that up for, I mean, what, what were your thoughts about that? Honestly, my thoughts were like the Lion King, the circle of life. <laughs> I thought that there's so <laughs> many people going through a divorce and at the end, not even thinking about or realizing that, oh, geez, you know, my husband was my healthcare proxy or power of attorney. Um, I need to fix that. I am going to retain the marital residence, so perhaps I need to put it in a trust and ensure that my kids are the beneficiaries of that. So to me, it just seemed really like the next step, like it was just a necessity. And quite honestly, that's something that I jumped into, not necessarily by desire initially, but by demand. And it's worked out. Yeah, yeah. That, I think it's a wonderful pairing of those two <laughs> practice areas because it really serves the client, you know, as well yeah. as being a really smart business decision. It serves the client, in, you know, in a way that they may, don't even realize, you know, when they come in, most likely for a divorce, that they're not even thinking about the impact that it's going to have on their you know, estate plans. Because divorce can impact so many of our future plans and change all of that, right? right? right. Um, so tell me about your practice itself. You is it right now, or is it you, and or do you have you started uh, building your team yet? Or I know it's kind of a baby baby practice at this point for you. Yeah, no, I mean I'm gratefully, um, you know, happy to say that I do have an administrative assistant who recently came on board a few months ago and. She has been excellent. Prior to that, I had a marketing intern and am looking forward to continuing to scale, you know, in the future. Mm -hmm. The reason that I came up with Egan Law Center um, is because I always had the idea of scaling and expansion and Mm -hmm. really making um, a a larger company. And that's, you know, my goal for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier um, about your ability to grow your network and kind of developing and learning those skills. So talk to me about some of your marketing success that you've had so mm-hmm. far. It seems, it seems like you've got a good, a good start on growing your business and work is coming to you, 
fairly easily and yeah. uh, you know it's gaining momentum so tell me something uh, tell me about that and how you kind of gone about doing that I will say that my biggest piece of advice to people to women lawyers and to those especially just starting out is to put on the earphones to unsolicited advice sometimes you need to just put yourself in an isolation booth Initially, at the beginning, I was getting a lot of resistance, especially from uh, like my mom's generation and people that just didn't understand. They would call me up and say, Lindsay, why on God's green earth are you posting pictures on your Instagram of the salad that you ate for lunch? I don't understand <laughs> it. Right? <laughs> yeah. right? What does that have to do with practicing law? And gosh, you know, I became a little self-conscious for a minute and thought, well, I should pull back the reins and this isn't making sense. And then I realized, well, you know what? My mom is not my ideal client and right. I need to do what is authentic to me. And that right. for me is kind of pulling the curtain back on the Wizard of Oz a little bit. I think it's so important to allow people to have the opportunity to really learn who I am. And I'm not here to say I am the best attorney in the world, but I am here to say I am the best attorney for specific clientele. And that's what's really important to me. You know, my mm -hmm. clients deserve to see, in my opinion, who they're betting on because they are counting on me to help them and assist them through some major decisions that can have decades long impact. So I think it's just really important to always think about Service before sales. Who is your community? What do they need from you? It's not about you. It is about them. How am I going to provide good content? How am I going to do it in an entertaining way? Because I am a little bit, you know, more unique than the stereotypical attorney, um, which is kind of my shtick. And it feels the best to me. And when I am being authentic is when I know that the clients are getting the best piece of Lindsay Egan. So right. just being a prominent, active member of your community is also really important. I get a lot of clients from the various Facebook groups where I go on and I am actively helping out and participating in them. So if I can provide resources and support, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I do for my clients. If I have a client that comes in and, you know, they need to cry it out. Perfect. Here's a box of tissues. If they are, you know, feeling like they need some empowering music and we're going to battle out a proposed parenting plan with their ex, maybe we put on some Beyonce and we dance it out for a little bit. Fine. I am here for them to whatever their specific needs are. And we make what, what seems like a really daunting, difficult situation um, as good as it can be. Right, right. What you mentioned a couple of things that I want to just go back and address. One was you, you mentioned your ideal client. Mm -hmm. Tell me who your ideal client is for you. Yeah. So my ideal client for me is someone in geographically Massachusetts. You know, the North Shore area um, is where I'm located. So I tend to get a lot of the North Shore people in the Boston, the greater Boston area. And it's somebody in their 30s and 40s who is a working parent who enjoys shopping at Nordstrom and watching The Real Housewives, like I do. <laughs> um, it's someone that, you know, is counting on someone to lift them up and empower them and is perhaps lacking in a, a little bit of confidence to be 
self-driving enough to get themselves through what's going on. Right, right. And then you also mentioned that you were unique, and you gave a couple of examples about that, but could you, because uh, I imagine that most people don't expect their attorney to be cranking up Beyonce and dancing with them while they work on their settlement um, agreement. So yeah. what what kinds of things do you think um, set you apart and make you unique in the eyes of your clients? I think my approach to divorce in general and the needs assessment that I do with every client makes me unique. So I like to be the hub in the center of the wheel for everything going on. And I look at the entire picture for that client globally and in a holistic approach. So whether that means that somebody is going to need to do a cash out refinance to buy their partner out of the marital home so that they can retain it for themselves and their kids, and they've never even considered that, I will get on the phone with them and personally connect them to the best loan officer, the best realtor if they're going to need to sell their house, um, a parenting coach if their kids are really struggling with the divorce, a mindset coach if that's a mom that needs more personal support with everything. So I am a super connector and super involved in the entire process, soup to nuts. Yes, yes. So I love that super connector. Uh, I think mm -hmm. that's there are some people years ago, I took uh, some sort of uh, it was a personality it wasn't a personality assessment, but it was something that broke people down into different categories for mm -hmm. where their strengths were with regard to marketing and uh, or with any function at a business. And super connector are those people who really are so good at helping people come together and collaborate. And so that is a real gift. A lot of people don't have that gift. And when did you know that this was a, this was something, has this always been how you've been? Are you the person who's always kind of been the one to yes. connect people together when you were little? Yes. <laughs> always, always. Yes. And you know what? Come over to my house sometime. You will see how I run a party or I run, you know, I ran my sister's wedding. I mean, we had it mapped out on an Excel spreadsheet to the quarter hour increments. But I love that. I am always very animated and passionate and driven. And I, you know, they always say empowered women empower women. So what do you need? How can I get you to meet this person? How can I support you? But yeah, I've always been the hub, even in my group of friends. Um, family. I'm the one that's running the show. I'm connecting everyone um, because it's, you know, mutually beneficial. I love to see my friends happy and successful and supported. And I love that for my clients as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. So what do you see yourself three years from now in your business? What are your aspirations? I think I'd have at least a couple of associates. Um, I love the Massachusetts area. I would venture more into the city, I think, in Boston. Um, always looking to grow, always looking to expand. However, always looking to remain very true and authentic to my brand and to my vision. So just doing it in a very crafted, careful way that makes sense because my reputation is everything to me. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something earlier about people, you know, close to you commenting about your social posts and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really mm -hmm. interesting. It's one of the things I, I've, I didn't deal with the exact same situation, but having uh, other people close to me, like, you know, parents and 
mm-hmm. who don't understand kind of how business runs today or how they don't not really sure you know what's going what's going on with all this. It's just crazy. It seems very crazy. I think that there are a lot of what I often hear from when I'm working with women law firm owners is people who love us without meaning to can be some of our biggest naysayers because they have when we start out because it seems they're scared for us you know they have fear Mm -hmm. for us and so they say Mm -hmm. things that you know show us that worry and you made a very good point and i had to do the same thing that you did um which at one point i just had to say i'm going to i'm going to work in silence i'm going to go do my things and i'm kind of going to just consider the source of advice well-meaning advice, what, you know, whatever I'm going to consider right. this course before I consider, you know, and then I'm going to make my decisions based on what I know to be true for me. Because I think one of the things that we sometimes forget is that no one, no one else can knows you as well as you know you. They think right. they do, <laughs> but they really don't, you know, you know, they, they may know certain aspects of you, but you really have to do what is in your heart to do. And I think that's what right. your story really illustrates. And I love that. I love the courage that you've shown and kind of going from, you know, being a pianist to being a, to being in banking and then say, you know, and having the courage to say, you know, I'm, I'm on an exploration here until I find that mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. that means something to me. It sounds like you really have found something that you're very passionate about, but that doesn't feel like it's will crush your passion to have it as your career. What do you think about your practice that makes it different for you than your journey as a pianist? What do you think makes this something you can be passionate about without feeling like it drains you? Yeah, I think because I am the one that's in charge, I am setting the course for sale, which is um, very different for me, but such a great change and a great opportunity And you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right that people who love you are the ones that are often the most resistant um, because they are worried for you. And I liken Mm -hmm. that to, you know, me as I look at my little two-year-old daughter and every step that she's taking literally and figuratively and just wanting to be the one that, you know, is always holding her hand. And sometimes you need to just let go and let her fall and stumble and learn to get her balance and figure it out. I did it the other week at the playground. You know, I I climbed up and followed right behind her on one of those silly play structures. And I was the only, I looked around, Davina, I'm telling you, I was the only mom up there following her kid on this play structure thinking that, oh, she's going to fall. Oh, she's going to trip. This is too big. This is too high. And you know what? she was fine. She had the confidence and she had the ability to be up there by herself. So eventually I said, Lindsay, get your butt down from this slide and let her (laughs) be her. And she did and she loved it. So honestly, people, sometimes you just need to let your friends and your loved ones have the opportunity to fall because sometimes they'll just fly. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. I love that the illustration you gave, because I think that says it perfectly. You know, we can't, we really have to make a conscious effort to, to let people that we love be who they truly are, you know, without, and, and experience everything in life, because that's how we grow. That's how we get from it. So I'm super excited for you that you've gone on that journey. And what do you, what advice would you have to share with other women out there, women attorneys who may be Mm. contemplating, 
hanging their own shingle or maybe a little behind you on the journey? What, what, what have you learned so far? I have learned um, a couple of things. First is talk to someone else that has done it because being an attorney and being a business owner can go hand in hand, but for some people, they shouldn't. So you really need to decide if you want to be a business owner. For me, I always wanted to own a business, run the show, and I love all the guts and the brains behind it. Other people, they don't want to be involved and they don't want to see how the sausage is made. Do you know what I mean? Right. They just want to do the legal aspect of it. And that's fine. That's great. There are jobs for all of us. But understand that you're going to have to figure out how to balance working in the business and working on the business as a business owner. I love it. Some people may not. Um, the second thing is don't be afraid to break the mold. You are going to have resistance, especially if you are a younger, newer woman lawyer. It, there tends to still be, you know, an older gentleman's club in some aspects. So, and there's all these precedences that have been set up for a long time of how practices should operate. Right. with a lot of rigidity, with a lot of nine to five, with a lot of printing and papers. And you know what? People don't want that anymore. They want ease of accessibility to the attorney. They want to understand what's going on. They want a secure client portal where they can upload documents and they're not sending things via email that shouldn't be sent via email. They may mm -hmm. want Sunday afternoon appointments and you're going to need to be accommodating to that or just deciding, um, you know, what you're going to be and be very clear about that. So be a rebel rouser. Be ready to break the mold and be also ready to be open to exposing yourself a little bit. Clients want to know who they're getting their services from. They want to know that they're choosing someone who's going to be personally invested in them. So you're going to have to show up, be yourself, peel back some of those layers of the onion and allow yourself to be found because there's a lot of competition. So you need to decide what is going to make you unique. My business coach once told me that if you are speaking to everyone, you are speaking to no one. So you need to be very clear in your message and in very clear of what you are looking to accomplish in your business. Absolutely. And that is, that is absolutely great advice when it comes to your marketing and your branding, being really clear on who it is that you are, you know, marketing to and who you mm -hmm. want to attract is so key. And, and I think people have a lot of fear around that choosing a niche. I know I was uh, yeah. in a social group yesterday of attorneys, men and women attorneys, and uh, there was a discussion about someone focusing her practice on men and serving men in divorce. And mm -hmm. uh, another attorney was really bothered by that. Why are you just serving men? And that doesn't seem right. And, I, and she was, you know, looking at it from a perspective of, um, you know, feeling like women deserve representation too. And that's perfectly mm -hmm. fine. Um, and mm -hmm. I think what she missed was that the, the attorney had identified a niche. She had identified right. a market, uh, which right. in her case was, you know, men who feel like they weren't getting fair representation, whether that's true or not is irrelevant. It's really about men feeling that way and wanting someone mm -hmm. to represent them that they feel will hear them and represent Absolutely. them, their interest well in, in the divorce situation. 
So it sounds like you have gotten really clear on who your ideal client is too. And I think that's wonderful. And it's, and, and it's a challenge for many attorneys when they're starting out. Did you find it, it was a challenge for you when you were first starting out? Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially with the pressures from those naysayers, again, show your salad. <laughs> I guess that's my mm-hmm. takeaway. Show your salad. Um, don't be afraid <laughs> to be you. That's your hashtag from now on is hashtag yeah, show your really salad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my mom's going to love this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I love that. I love that. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with us today. I know you're going to give a lot of encouragement to listeners who are listening to this and and thinking, you know, I've really been wanting to hang my own shingle and your story, especially given all that you were going through at the time you started this and and then with the pandemic following up, you know, you really are sending a message that, hey, if this is what you want to do, you can do it no matter what, right? You can do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do it. Please do it. You You can do it. We are only here for one trip around this world. So make it a good one. Did you ever feel at any point like like giving up and all that and just saying uh, this isn't going to work? I just I need I should just go go back and get a job again or or did you kind of stick with this and say where I absolutely yeah absolutely and you know what I'm not going to falsely proclaim that I don't still have those feelings some days right I think the ones that are the most successful are the ones that are always questioning themselves. How could I be better? How could I be doing more? You know, it's the ones that are a little bit too cocky and self-assured and untouchable, um, where I think they they may um, fall flat on their face at some point. So I do have those moments. I have had those moments. But I think that the juice is worth the squeeze in this case, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks again for being here. Tell us how we can find out more about you and the Egan Law Center online. And, and we definitely want to see what you had for lunch. So where can we find you on Instagram? Absolutely. Yes, I am planning out my lunch today. It's probably actually, ironically, a salad. But you can find <laughs> me on Instagram um, at Egan Law Center. EganLawCenter.com is my website. And you can feel free to reach me out at Lindsay at EganLawCenter.com and I'm happy to talk and connect with anyone and uh, play some Beyonce music and, and be your hype woman if you need it. Oh, terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the League in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, Go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. Lead is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. 
We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.